With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. From short film pioneer to romantic crime drama, Eight Them Body Saints and Disney epic Pete's Dragon, David Lowry's made a habit of examining the nature of identity, family and relationships from altogether sideways perspectives. It's an approach that served the writer-director well and one he uses to great effect in his latest offering, A Ghost Story. I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to Soundtracking, a weekly podcast in which writers, directors, actors and composers discuss screen music. A Ghost Story stars Casey Affleck as the spirit of a recently deceased man who remains in the house he shared with his wife. It's scored by Daniel Hart, who David has worked with on many occasions, of which plenty more in a moment. Now, I loved this film, so before we got into the music, I asked David what inspired it. Here's what he had to say, accompanied by one of Daniel's cues called The Secret in the Wall. David, welcome to Soundtracking. Congratulations on your film, A Ghost Story. It's wonderful. Thank you. We'll talk about the music in a second, but if you wouldn't mind, just if we talked a little bit about the film particularly first. I love the notion of it being from the ghost point of view. You always get the other side of it. And yeah. this was a really tender portrayal. Can you tell me where the, the idea for the story came from, first of all? It came from the image of this bedsheet ghost in an empty house. That was an image that I just had in my head and wanted to use in a movie. And I wasn't sure what that movie would be. But by and by, I sat down to write this one. And, and this is what came out. <laughs> and it is. It's a very amusing image. But it's also very tender and naive and bittersweet and melancholy. And, and it has all of these qualities that we associate with childhood, which is where yeah. I think that naivete comes from, because it is a child's Halloween costume, and yet it also is understood to represent a ghost, literally. And so I wanted to see if we could use that image that is universally understood to represent a spirit of someone who has who has passed away and remains on Earth for one reason or another. If we could use that image and, and imbue it with the actual qualities associated with our understanding of spirits, even though we're using again a child's Halloween costume to represent it. Is it? Casey the whole time underneath the sheet not the whole time but enough to where I feel comfortable just saying like hey he yes, can, he can yes. take ownership of that character <laughs> yeah, totally. our art director David Pink was exactly the same height and size and you could actually look from a distance you would think he was Casey so he wound up wearing it initially in the scenes where the ghost and Casey are on camera together and then when we did pickups and reshoots he wore it as well you imagine just throwing a sheet over someone and filming it there was it was quite a difficult thing and there was quite a lot of specific things required. yeah that was the hardest part of the, <laughs> the shoot film. yeah it was just getting that costume bloody to ghost to make it look as simple as it looks required a lot of mechanical engineering and and underneath that sheet there are a whole bunch of moving parts to make that shape 
just have the presence that it has. And it's not even a bed sheet. I mean, the, a, an actual bed sheet wouldn't cover you from head to toe. So it's a, be like a giant's bed. Yeah, it exactly. It's <laughs> like a it's a very specifically constructed piece of fabric that has you know rooms for the arms to move out and mm-hmm. for the trail to trail out behind them. And my costume designer Nell, that was her life all summer last year was was wrangling sheets. <laughs> He's beautiful. It's a beautiful image. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like we knew that if we could make it work, that it would work. Yeah. And we just it took us a while to figure out how to make it work. saw it maybe a week and a half ago and it's it's in my thoughts daily there are things that pop up that make me think about it i mean i think that's a sign of a great film that's the best i could hope for as a filmmaker is to have a reaction like that so thank you it started so many conversations about the story the performances as well and the music i've just been given a cd of the soundtrack (laughs) which fills me with joy i have listened to it non-stop it was important working with daniel again on this and and on this one particular track that almost stemmed the rest of the score for the film. Am I right in thinking that I Get Overwhelmed was a track that he'd written for his band, with his band, and then kind of formed the soul of the music for the film, really? Yeah, I was developing the film. Like, I wrote it very quickly last year when we were doing the score for Pete's Dragon. And I one day was in the little office Daniel had in in our... post suite in the Disney lot and he played the song for me that he had written for his band Dark Rooms and the title was very appropriate because I was just completely overwhelmed by it I could not believe it I mean I've been a fan of his music you know that he he writes for his band for for years everything he's ever written has been great but this was you know next level material and I just couldn't stop listening to it I asked him to send it to me and he did and and I was listening to it in my car I was listening to it at home I just couldn't stop listening to it same (laughs) and and then I just wrote it into the screenplay At first, 
I wasn't sure how I would use it. I just wrote in a scene where Rooney was listening to it with headphones. Yeah. And then very quickly it became part of the relationship between her and Casey's character. And, you know, I think everyone probably is familiar with, you know, when you're in a relationship with someone, one of the easiest ways to communicate early on is with music. You just understand a person so much more thoroughly when music is the common denominator. proved very useful in terms of like trying to establish the emotion between them. We have very little time with them as characters in the film. Yeah. And this song does so much work in sort of establishing the emotional grounds that they that they stand on and the way in which they communicate to one another. At the same time, it also informed my ideas of what the music in the film could be. At that point in the screenplay, that scene where she listens to it was very early on. It was going to be a, a scene at the beginning of the film. And when we got into the edit, it moved to the middle. And it was around that point, for me maybe, I don't know, I have to ask Daniel, but when, when he decided to start using pieces of that song as building blocks for the rest of the score so that you, you know, when you watch the movie, you're hearing that song through the whole movie all the way up until you actually hear it. You don't realize you're hearing it, but yeah. you're hearing little bits and pieces so of clever. it. And then afterwards you're hearing it again. Yeah, it's such a clever way of using that one piece of music. I spoke to Nicholas Bratel about working on the soundtrack for Moonlight mm -hmm. and he talked about how the same pieces of music are used throughout the three stories and he's kind of chopped and screwed some of them and things yeah. like that so you have this recurring thing but it's so clever like you say that you connect with these melodies and these belarts of music that you kind of finally get to this point it feels so familiar when you hear the song yes and delivered brilliantly within the narrative character a uh, musician before you heard the track or did it form part of the script he was an artistic 
individual of some indeterminate sort. And describes a lot of people I know. Yes, and as, and as soon as I heard that song and, and like and, and wrote into the script, and it very quickly became clear to me that he should just be a musician. Mm. He and Rooney are basically playing my wife and I, but it was too on the nose to have them be a filmmaking couple. So <laughs> yeah. making him a musician was the next best thing. You know, he learned that song, he learned all the words to it, yeah. and and learned how to play it on the piano and. Great took it seriously and tried to make it look like he was really he knew what he was doing there well it's totally believable because going in and watching the film without knowing the, the background to it I kind of watched it and went God Casey can really sing yeah <laughs> he would be <laughs> so happy to hear that great voice yeah because you do you think it's him yeah that's the great thing about it is that you invest in it and you're you're in that situation with him you think it's him he does have a good voice but we let Daniel's uh, Daniel's vocal tracks remain in the film <laughs> maybe on the DVD extras <laughs> possibly yeah did you see too much? All the awful dreams felt real enough. Is your love there? She waking up? Did she die in the night? Leave you alone. It's really important to know when to not use music as well because there are silences and atmospheric sounds within that are almost as important as when it is to have scoring. Yes. The sense of silence in the film was built in. It was in the screenplay. And I knew there would be big chunks of film that would have no score where you would just be listening to either room tone or to just natural sounds that kind of fade away into the background. And those were important. You need to have that space. If we had just like layered on score there, the movie wouldn't have worked. But it's just as important to like bring the score in at the right point at the end of those sequences. So like there's like a key scene that goes on for, I want to say 15 minutes where the ghost first comes home and there's no music whatsoever. And then at a very key moment, the score starts to swell in there at the end. And and we spent a lot of time figuring out exactly what frame to bring the the music in on. Because you want it to hit at just the right point where it feels natural and and earned. Yeah. Where the silence earns the right for us to hear music again. Is that an emotional decision for you in terms of when you're watching it and making that decision? Is it about when it feels right? It totally is. I'm sure there's some mathematics behind it that we could (laughs) analyze. But um, for me, it's like I've got the track on the timeline and I just move it around and hit play and if it feels right then it's good if it doesn't feel right just nudge a little bit hit play again and just do that until I feel I've got it and 
of course, Daniel has his, he's part of that process because he writes the music to time code and he has his ideas of exactly where it should hit. And usually those are spot on, but every now and then, as always happens when you're making a movie, you're still editing it when the music's coming in. So things start to shift and we find new, new ways for the music to intertwine with the imagery and those in and out points might move around just a little bit. But he's got a pretty good sense of exactly where the music needs to be in my movies. It's really kind of remarkable how little spotting we actually have to do. He just watches the movie and generally like, he's like, yep, I got it. And Good instinct. We, we've worked together long enough at this point that he, <laughs> he knows what I'm doing. There's some wonderful delicacies as well and, and things that really stuck in my brain, the kind of sound of him kind of scraping at the wall, trying to get yeah. to the note, or I don't want to say too much in terms of giving things away, but there's a scene that involves the sheet. You almost feel kind of slight wind brushing. Yes, all of that sound design, I'll give all the credit there to our sound designer, Johnny Marshall, who recorded most of the sound in the movie from scratch. When we were filming scenes that did not involve other human beings, we just weren't recording audio because the ghost was shot at a different frame rate, so there was no point to it. And I was always giving direction as we were shooting. It was like there was no need for audio on set. So all of that sound was just built from scratch. And I wanted it to be very tactile. There were a lot of very specific sounds that we had to just experiment with. So every sound in the movie, for the most part, is created from scratch, and with the exception of the dialogue, and every now and then there'd be like a random sound effect in the background that was appropriate. Yeah. But most of it was just built in, and that's musical in its own right. Like, mm. all the sound design functions, to me, in the same way that music does. Even though you don't process it as music yeah. on a conscious level, that's what it's doing. The person who probably got the most dialogue in the film, Will Oldham, who has a great scene where he's kind of like a prophet sat at the kitchen table, mm -hmm. regaling the world with his... The his... vaguely uh, inebriated pop philosopher. <laughs> yeah, it's great, I like that. But I had no idea that he was Bonnie Prince Billy, who I've been a massive fan of. Oh, yeah. Musically. Same here. For, for a long time. And you guys have obviously worked together over the years on, on a number of projects as well. Likewise, he's one of my favorite, if not favorite, American singer-songwriter, mm. folk artists. And, you know, I've been a fan of his for years and years and years. And when I made this short film back in 2011, I just wrote to him out of the blue and asked him if he would be in it. Was that Pioneer? Yeah. And... I found his email address and, and just got in touch with him. And, and he was, said, yeah, he read it. And, and that's the type of guy he is. Like if something appeals to him, it doesn't matter that some dude from Texas is emailing him out of the blue. He'll, he'll engage. So he was in that film and that film did very well and, and kind of paved the way for everything else I made. Hey, buddy, buddy. Hey, come here. Oh. What's wrong? Nightmare. You just having a nightmare? Yeah. Oh, buddy, that's so terrible. What can I do for you? Can I get you a glass of water? No. You sure? No. You want to try to go back to sleep? No. What do you want? Mm -hmm. Read me a story. You want me to read you a story? Yes. Okay. What should I read? Want me to grab a book? No. What do you want? That's a long, long story. You sure? Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, where do you want me to start? It's the very beginning with the ships. With the ships, okay. And he then contributed a song to Pete's Dragon, like the, the opening song. The Dragon is, is song. His. Yep. And we love that film. I oh, too. thank my, you. My boys and I. I love it too. Yeah. I, I really am Just, proud of that movie. Yeah, you should be. It's, it's beautiful. Go north, go north with the winds on your feet. Go north with the wind where the three rivers meet. 
There's a clearing of sorts in a circle of trees Where the wild constellations shine one, two, and three Look all around you and see Deep in the forest their dragons will be when we had this scene, you know, in this movie with, you know, the most dialogue in the entire film, I knew he would be able to kill it, and, and <laughs> indeed he did. From working on something like Pete's Dragon, you mentioned being on the Disney lot, being in that enormous world, but still feeling, for me, Pete's Dragon feels like an independent film. That was the goal, like, to make something that felt, that felt like one of my movies, and that's just the way I make movies. And so, even though it was a huge budget and we were working with all these visual effects and everything, I was still making it the way I always make movies. I need to get back to him. He gets scared when I'm gone. Is Elliot a person? No. He looks like a dragon. What's a dragon? I can't think of a better way to demonstrate that than like the fact that we had a Bonnie Prince Billy song kicking the movie off. Like no one at Disney knew who he was. You know, I wrote that song into the script and I was like, this is who should sing it. And everyone got excited about that. And right. and that's just really wonderful that I'm like now able to introduce an entire generation of <laughs> of children to a great American singer-songwriter. <laughs> Everybody's Saints is wonderful and I love that scene where it starts off with Casey writing the, the letter, his character writing the letter and you have the kind of violin and the hand claps kind yeah. of going on and then and then the just abrupt ending that happens with it and stuff. I like as well with the music with that how where a ghost story, the score isn't really of the place, yeah. whereas in the Body Saints, you know, there's that country vibe yep. to it, folkness to it as well. Does that make it easier or harder when you're talking about music? Is it easier when it's... I don't know, there's a connection between location, genre, time, all that kind of a stuff. A little bit. I mean, Daniel always comes out to the sets when we're shooting our movies and, and just kind of gets a sense of what we're doing. Like, mm -hmm. we just finished shooting a new one, and he was there for three days and just wanted to pick up on the vibe of what we were doing in yeah. advance just to kind of get those those wheels turning. With that movie, with Ain't Body Saints, the whole movie was designed from the get-go to feel like a folk song. It's like in multiple verses, and, and it's like, you know, any classic outlaw ballad. That's like what that movie was meant yeah. to, to feel like. And so... The music naturally just went in that direction. We didn't even have to you know, talk about it that much because it was just so clear that that's what the idea was. case of that movie even that scene you were talking about Daniel was writing that music as we were editing that so that scene was actually edited to the music 
and the whole movie was like he would send us a piece of score because he works very very quickly and we would just cut the movie to that piece of music and so a lot of times the music was coming in before we had the, the scene finished and it really ingrained itself in the movie that way um, which is unusual that's not normally how you know you work when you're when you're when you're doing music for a film it's usually the film's pretty much done yeah and uh, and it was really exciting to work that way just to have that sort of like completely side by side you know in step process with Daniel. did make it easy on that one and with a ghost story we're like okay what's the tone of this movie what's it going to sound like but luckily we had I get overwhelmed like we knew that whatever the movie was going to sound like it was going to come from that song I just knew like if that song's in the movie that's going to define the movie that's going to be like the heart of the film and so the score should just branch out from that but always fall back on that so we knew at the very least we had that as our bedrock a filmmaker when you first started falling in love with watching films and how you connect with them were there certain directors or films that the music really resonated with you oh yeah definitely I mean I guess the easiest way to talk about that would just be the the soundtracks that I bought when I was younger Um, The Last of the Mohicans the uh, Michael Mann film has just one of the most exceptional scores of all time and that was one that I had a copy of early on, like on cassette tape back when, because I, I, didn't, I didn't get a CD player until I was in high school. They're having a Renaissance cassettes. Oh yeah, no, they completely are. <laughs> but uh, that's uh, Trevor Jones and Randy Edelman collaborating on that score, and just, it's a masterpiece. Like, it's such a great score, and I'm surprised they don't use it like in trailers. That music is just so powerful. One of the first scores I fell in love with. Danny Elfman stuff with Tim Burton definitely was yeah. huge for me. Edward Scissorhands is still remains one of my, my favorite scores. Stunning.
I had the Star Wars scores on vinyl as a child because I was obsessed with Star Wars and a lot of Disney scores. But another one that was formative for me was the Lost Highway score that David Lynch put together. I was probably 16 when that came out, and again, I got it on cassette tape. And that was the first film that was using songs in the film that I connected with personally. That was a bunch of artists like Nine Inch Nails and Smashing Pumpkins that I was really into then. with David Lynch's imagery on screen was incredibly exciting. You know, at that point, I'd seen some Scorsese movies and and seen, like, how Scorsese used music, but that wasn't my music. I liked the Rolling Stones, but that wasn't my music. But all of a sudden, I was seeing music that spoke to me being used in a movie that spoke to me, and seeing how those could be used together was really profound, and that was really exciting. So that was another early cassette uh, (laughs) soundtrack that I had. You don't really use needle drops. It's not something you've really done in your... I haven't, and and, and when we do, it's all original music to date. My co-writer on Pete's Dragon, Toby Hobricks, who has also produced everything else I've done, he uh, is a songwriter as well. And we've all got writing credits on some of the tracks yeah, for, for, for Pete's Dragon. Definitely. Usually I've just had him and his friends write the needle drops that we have. So in like Pete's Dragon, there's a Lumineers song, and Toby wrote that with his friend Andrew. Nobody knows how to say goodbye. It seems so easy till you try. Then the moments passed you by Nobody knows how to say goodbye mm-hmm. Nobody knows how to get back home And we set out so long ago Search the heavens and the earth below. Nobody knows how the story ends. And we are making a film right now that I think will be the first film that we've made that will have like other music in it yeah. that we did not originate. And and so it's fun to sort of like start doing that. We have a Jackson C. Frank song that was written into the screenplay and, and we're using that as like the starting point. From there we'll, we'll see what else we find. But usually it's all, you know, when there are needle drops, they're all original songs and they're meant to like kind of fit into the score. 
I find it quite refreshing actually when I don't know if it's the easier option of just kind of going stick a tune in there. It's easy because you have attachments to it already. You know, yeah, exactly. there's a built-in history, and so you if you play a song that everyone already likes, you're going to increase the chances everyone likes the movie. You're hearing a song that makes you happy, and so that by cause and effect, happiness. yeah, you're gonna you're gonna <laughs> like that part of the movie. Yeah. So it it is easy. There's no denying that it works. I mean, when I go to a movie, the same with like going to see Lost Highway when I was 16, hearing these artists who I loved, like Nine Inch Nails, and that made me happy. And it worked with the movie and it complemented the movie. So when it's yeah. done right, I have no problem with it whatsoever. Can you tell us about the new project? Can you say much? Or? Yeah, it's called The Old Man and the Gun. It's a true story, loosely based on a true story, that I adapted from a New Yorker article by David Gran. It's online if you want to read about it. And it stars Robert Redford in what he says will be his final role as an actor, although I wouldn't Hold be surprised if he, if he popped out of retirement yeah. <laughs> in the near future. It's a completely different movie from a ghost story in every possible way. To be honest, it's basically a love letter to Robert Redford. <laughs> he's he, he's playing a character, but I also like am very aware that the character has you know a lot of connections, a lot of connections to mm-hmm. him. So he's playing a bank robber, but it could just as much be a him playing an actor, you know, who's getting away with it. I worked with him on Pete's Dragon, and yeah, we'd been course. developing this project for a while, and it was just a real you know it was really fun to make a movie for him and 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 to let him shine. And so that is probably going to be out sometime in 2018 awesome he's such a kind of bastion for filmmakers and new film you know with what he did with sun what he's done with sundance and things like that definitely it's, it, it's an honor for me to get to work with him because he's a legend but also because what he created with sundance is kind of the reason i'm here i had a lot of support from the institute and, yeah. and then festival played my short film and, and i don't think you know i would have a career if it wasn't for sundance so it's great to, to some extent, repay the favor by hopefully giving him a really great role in a, in a really fun movie. What's he like to work with? He's great. He's never for a second not a living legend. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you, never, you never have a moment where you're like, oh, that's not Robert Redford. That's just a guy. Like, it's always just like Robert Redford. He comes up and says good morning with that voice. And you're like, oh, you are a movie star who I've been watching my entire life. But once you get past that, he's very down to earth, very kind, and doesn't have like a huge movie star ego. He, he walks in the set. He's got a little folding chair. He sits there and reads his paper until you're ready for him. And then he, and then he comes and does his work, and, and he's all about doing the work like he really like likes to roll up his sleeve and and do a good job and but you never for a second forget that that's robert redford right there reading his paper in a little folding chair in the back the corner of the set have you got a favorite robert redford film downhill racer is my favorite and not a lot of people have seen that mm. my memory of it i haven't seen it in like two two or three years it doesn't actually have a score it might have some needle drops in it. I mean, obviously, when you think about classic Robert Redford music, you think of raindrops falling on my head. And, yeah, from and, Beach Cassidy, yeah. And, and I think he actually doesn't like that. He wasn't a fan of that 
I mean, it's an amazing scene. Like, yeah. but I think if I recall correctly, he's not, he's not Redford Redford was not in favor of that choice. like a, a music video in the middle, in the middle of the movie. movie. <laughs> just the movie stops for a <laughs> yeah. scene where Paul Newman is riding a bike <laughs> and and just, you know, horsing around with that song playing. It's kind of <laughs> it's kind of radical and revolutionary and I love it. I'm selfishly then going to pick something from All the President's Men. Oh, perfect. Uh, and from David Shara's score. That's, if that a, would be that's okay an amazing with... score. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. One of my favorites. President's Men has a lot of really amazing scenes of people talking on the phone and so does the movie we just finished. At first I was like, man, do we have too many scenes of because there's a detective in the movie and all he does is make phone calls and I was like, do we have too many scenes of him on the phone? And then we were like, wait, all the President's Men does that. They set the precedent. It's totally fine. David, I can't wait to see it. The new film, but congratulations on a ghost story. It is absolutely wonderful and it's a real pleasure to chat to you. Thanks Thank you. So it's much. been a pleasure for me as well. chosen by me that's an extract from David Shara's score for All the President's Men rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with David Lowry a huge thanks to David for taking the time to talk to us A Ghost Story is on general release now with Daniel Hart's score available via Milan Music both come highly recommended Head to edithbowman.com to subscribe to the podcast and catch up with all of our previous episodes and find out about the music we've played. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and please do tell your friends about us if you like what you hear. Next up, well, it's only Clint Mansell. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Mm -hmm.